0: huge terror fan and i just went down the whole <laughs> the whole thing T- you know it's great right? cool. you and tim armstrong talking was dude. fantastic because i know tim a little bit you yeah. know i actually i uh, was the uh minister of the wedding between amy and kevin bavona the interrupters believe it or not no way dude yep. and tim armstrong played uh what a wonderful world on acoustic guitar when they walked down and it was one of the most I'm sitting here crying because it was a beautiful ceremony but I'm crying because Tim Armstrong is like singing the most beautiful thing and he's like I dig to myself you know he sings (laughs) I'm like this is so amazing but the way you and Tim have this brohood you you got an interview out of him that I hadn't really heard from him Mm -hmm. laughing smiling having fun guard down and and just clowning man it was just really fun to hear He's,
1: he's been the number one supporter of the podcast like he told me i should do it that's why he's like one of the first ones i had on and he's like i believe in you like everything he got my band signed to epitaph yep. back then like he's fucking
0: he he is just co-signing the toby morse game <laughs> he's a genius yeah he really is I think he's a genius songwriter. super underrated as a songwriter super underrated yeah. i mean i think we all i mean that's i mean i guess that's we all know how great he is but i'm talking about you know just brian, brian some... wilson level mm-hmm. i mean he founded the interrupters the interrupters are really good friends of mine okay uh kevin uh Kevin I've known forever used to uh, be a tech for us and Justin and Jesse the bonus actually played shows with Sugar Ray oh it's probably not a flag day wave anymore <laughs> that's, that's okay man that's okay it's a roots <laughs> but the but the coolest kids in the world and I was kind of there and I I go you guys got to leave this band you don't want to be 40 years old being in a Bus going, where did my life go? Go, go, go get interrupters. And Amy, uh, interrupter, and Kevin met uh, when Amy opened up for Sugar Rain in 2009. So Holy there's shit. a real there's connection right here. Yeah, some real real connection to the interrupters. I love those guys, the best kids in the They're world. They're killing it too, man. Killing it, dude. They-, they were supposed to be on that stadium tour with Weezer, Oh, that's Ball right. Out Boy, and I think Green Day. Yeah. Um, yeah, stadium tour from teching from Sugar Ray eight years ago to a, <laughs> opening know. a stadium tour. Dreams do come true, ladies and gentlemen. And I found out recently that
1: all three brothers went to the same high school my sons go to. His son goes to. It's called Hamilton High. Yeah, and it's a
0: music program. Nipsey Hussle went there. It's like it's, it's cool. a legit musical program that's really. Effective and curates and nurtures your talent, and yeah. I, and I mean that because I've seen it work, and I've seen I've seen the interrupters become yeah. the interrupters because of that Hamilton program. Are too many chords around you. No, sorry, I'm just. You know
1: what I want to say to you too. You know, people say like if there's somebody's ugly, but they really sound good in the radio, they have a face radio. You 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 have a great face. For, you have a great face for. Video and you have a great face for radio because you have a great voice and you're a handsome guy. So you have the whole package. I'm falling
0: in love, Toby. I don't know what to tell you.
1: My bass player told me today. I told me how. He goes, oh, my God. He goes, how is your house going to
0: get more handsome when Mark comes there? Oh, please. That guy's a (laughs) good-looking cat. you kidding me? I remember seeing h so for the first time in 95. That's how I kind of got turned on to the band and we were doing this real bootleg tour of japan and you know it was like a kind of a sketchy guy who we didn't didn't really have a reputable booker but we wanted to go to japan we didn't care
1: was it dogma productions dogma i don't want to say it was okay you got a relationship with him i don't it might have been we had somebody over there do something bad to us too was it was, it was sketchy was
0: it a dude like uh yeah yeah yep 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 and you this makes sense now because you guys were falling either right behind us or in front of us. It's yeah. an H2O hardcore from New York. And I saw you guys. I saw that your bass player like all buff and good looking. I'm like, oh, no, man. You guys can steal all the chicks. And you had you were tatted up back yeah, then. Yeah, back I, then. I, at 95, you know, you and Mike Ness like the only sleeved up dudes back then. It's, now, now it's like, you know, it's like fucking I have them. But, <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? Back then it was yeah. a statement. And I was like, God, these guys from New York, gnarly. And... I was just like, uh, I, I wish I could stuck around to uh, seeing the shows, but um, that's when I first got turned on to, to you guys, and I've just been uh, keeping an eye ever since, and the War of October's fun, and this you know, yeah. have been killing it, man. I think you said it well before. If you can make a living playing music you win let's not worry about how many records you sell or yeah. don't sell if you do something you love every day i think a wise man once said so it wasn't me but if you do something you love every day you, you don't work a day in your life yeah and we've never worked harder in our bands let's be honest 100 it's something we love you know yeah
1: so. well this is fuck man i'm already i'm so excited to have you i have to introduce you um yeah man we reconnected we i don't know during this podcast and you've been listening and hit me up and you know, I met you many, many years ago on the warp tour and I maybe you were in H two O basketball jersey, you guys were super humble on the warp tour. So, ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome to the podcast, Mr. Mark McGrath. Thank you for being
0: here. Oh, Toby, it is an absolute honor to be here. You know, it's funny, all the people you've been interviewing, Chino, you know, yeah. Danny Boy, just all the guys I know, and there's the bridge to the connection to you, so I go, totally. I'm just going to reach out and say hello. No way was I trying to get on the podcast. No, I know, I know, I was I know. totally I know. trying to get on the podcast. <laughs> but, but, but I was like, Toby, you're doing such a great job. You let Thank people you, speak, and it's effortless, and it's like, you have a real talent at doing this, and I know everybody... And their mother are doing podcasts right now, but uh, this this is something you're really, really good at. So it's a pleasure to listen to. It's a pleasure yeah. to be here. Thank you, man. So you think you're going to listen to this when it comes out? Uh, this one? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I don't listen to myself. I don't, weird, I don't yeah. watch myself and I just, yeah. I, and I feel weird. And I go, God, he's got a weird voice. He talks too much. He talks too quickly. He's on Coke. You know, the whole thing. That's like a, that's, <laughs> what, that's, that's what I hear every time I'm on an interview because I talk so fast. That's okay. You're, you're high in life, man. I'm, I'm so high in life, dude. Um. It.
1: So let's take it back. So let's take
0: it back. You were born in uh, Hartford, Connecticut. Indeed.
1: This is going to be, this is your life. I love it.
0: I I love it. Um, 1968 Hartford, Connecticut, uh, general hospital there was a huge Hartford whalers fan back in the day. we go to the wow. convention center down there. Remember brass bonanza. Nick Fatillo was the, uh, was the enforcer. I remember being such a big fan of that cause I'm not a fighter or a lover, okay. but I love watching both. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so I grew up there, um, until I was eight years old. Okay. And so still have relatives and roots back there. and, being born on the East Coast or having sort of a a roots-based uh, link to the East Coast, you have a different sense of reality, and and it's usually manners-based. Mm. Do, do you know, my, my dad and mom uh, literally and figuratively beat the manners and kindness and uh, having care for others into me, and okay. I never lost that coming to Southern California, which is easy to lose. You have a harder it's, edge, a little tougher edge. You, you, well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you do. I, I, don't. I just have, I, I have the, like a soft edge with like a gooey center. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but when I came to Southern California, it's all me, 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 man. What can you do for me? And blah, blah, blah. And that, that's a lot out here. But a lot of great folks out here as well. And I love, I love. We've talked about it. it's changed a lot, but I, I, do, I do love it out here. Um, But yeah, I moved out here about 1976. Yeah, so you old, have siblings. I have a sister, older sister. She lives down in, uh, Orange County. Um, and you know, we brother and sister got along, didn't get along. Yeah. We still doing that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, and I was kind of, I, I, I remember my biggest concern of moving out to Southern California was hockey because mm. I was playing hockey at five, six years old back then. And it was my thing. And I, I uh, I, I loved playing hockey and I, I, my dad goes, listen, dude, um, there's no hockey in Southern California. There's one club five hours away from where we're going to uh, be living. I'm willing to drive you there to play. Wow. But let's see once because Gretzky hadn't come yet to L.A. Hockey was nothing. It was the purple and gold. It was a triple crown line. Those who know about hockey. Yeah, I'm going to border. My wife loves My wife loves the Blackhawks. She's from Chicago. Oh, She does. Oh, yeah, we have to. I mean, that's 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 a that's a (laughs) rite of passage. You have to love Blackhawks, Bulls and the Bears. Uh, So so I moved out here and saw kids surfing and skating. And I go, Mm. you know, what? maybe I don't need to make that five hour drive to hockey. So I kind of just got got involved in the beach life uh, out in Newport Beach, California. So you surfing and skating yeah um but i found out real early i hate big waves mm. i'm I, i'm such a, a baby when it comes to big waves so i'll go to hawaii and if it's two foot crumblers and guys right and if there's you know if there's kids surfing and it's real mellow and, it, and there's like a beginner surfers class i'll go out and surf and the water's got to be like 75 degrees too yeah. So, <laughs> yeah so i remember going it would be huge in newport when we were young man it'd be like 20 foot or like 15 foot like up down the wedge and I go, you guys, I don't feel that good today, man. And they go, you're sick again, bro. You know, they, they knew right away. So I go, I got to find something else, man. I got to do something else. What's up with this music thing? You know. Well, what, about,
1: uh, what about skateboarding though? Were you like a street skater, a ramp
0: skater? I was a, uh, you know, I grew up in the eighties. So I was more of a, uh, a vert skater sick, you know, me poles too. and, and you know, Lester Kasai boards nice. and Chris Sinasoy and, and all that stuff. Um, so I missed the streets, street skating thing. You know, I still mm-hmm. can't do a kickflip and ollie or anything like that. But never got that. Never got it. But sh- show me your pool, and I'll I'll, I'll kick a little there. You know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you more like a carver, like kind of like
0: pools. Yeah, and- I was just a mellow carver. I was never a radical dude. I wasn't the aggression guy. Like, oh, there goes Mark McGrath, the hardcore guy. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. You know, but I always wanted to hang, and I love skating. I love surfing, so I did a lot of that growing up. You know, and a lot of the music that I listened to, you know, was supported that lifestyle you know the the circle jerks black flag and all that stuff you know that was uh, i'm old enough to remember that i mean the cuckoo's nest was two miles from where i grew up wow yeah i never went there because i was terrified (laughs) i was 10 years old when it was really happening i'm talking Mm -hmm. the damn playing down there 999 i think henry rollins first show with black flag the first one not the one when he jumped up on stage uh the Peppermint Club. With yeah, the, yeah, yeah. But the first one he played with Black Flag as a set, I believe, was at the Cougar's Nest. I could be wrong, but... That's a I famous thr- place I, out here. That's like your CBGBs, basically. Absolutely, absolutely. And then it became the Concert Factory, and when I was like 12 or 13, 14, I would go there because they have rockabilly nights and mod nights, and, you know, I... I fancied myself a rockabilly one time, a mod at one time. I was a breakdancer. I mean, I, I was a little bit of everything, and all of it is well documented, you okay. know. And His videos of you breakdancing. It's oh, all oh, sort I'd you, love to dude, see that dude, shit. You have cardboard. I will throw it down. Actually, you know, a couple <laughs> of years ago, I tried to do a New York backspin, and I. I I still have to go get a hip replacement because it, I hurt myself <laughs> so bad. You know, when you play basketball and you still think you can make that move that you can't in your mind, you make it, but like you fall on the ground, Yeah, uh, breakdance the same way. If you haven't break, uh, broke dance in a long time, do it at your own caution. Dude.
1: I think I still got backspins. I almost could do windmills. I could do head spins, hand spins. I used to teach breakdancing when I was super young. It's so called, the, called the Teen Beat in Southern Maryland. That's the coolest thing i, I swear to God. Heard. And I wore breakdance plans to my, um, real quick. I had, a, I had a problem with weird materials on my body, so um, my problem, I wore my mom's pantyhose and they covered my legs with, this is a true story, I covered my legs with baby powder and I wore these stupid
0: breakdance pants to the prom, man. You've got to be kidding me. Like parachute pants or something like that? Dude, what was the, uh, was it an was re- allergic reaction? Was a I've a, never heard of someone a, had a problem with wearable materials. That's the funniest thing. And I'm, I don't mean to laugh, but it's the coolest, funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> mom if you listen
1: to yeah hey, baby part of in that pantyhose it was so weird I, oh anyway so um, weird i might try that later yeah Sounds yeah. <laughs> kind of fun actually so um
0: <laughs> dude i was a hardcore breaker i loved it and i was one of the first guys in orange county that could do windmills okay so you know they there'd be like crews coming down from i remember kryptonite freeze coming down from the inland empire we were crown town crew Sick. Corona Del Mar stands for crown of the sea. Ooh, crown town crew. Got you. My handle was Yukon Cornelius straight <laughs> out of the Rudolph red nosed reindeer. Yeah. I was Yukon Cornelius, Cornelius. <laughs> yeah. which is such a horrible name. Cause what's your name, dude? Well, my name is Yukon Cornelius. You know, it's like it, what didn't flow. Wasn't yeah. top. Wasn't anything, but, they know Yukon <laughs> could flip some windmills, so dudes would come down, and they'd be locking and popping, and they'd, they'd do New York backspin and some basic brake moves, and I would just come out and do the windmills and just end Damn. it. And, I, and that was it. I was blonde kid with surfer hair, wearing like a rip curl wow. shirt, and I would just go out there and do windmills. You
1: grabby Johnson when you do another thing? That I couldn't do. I okay. never got
0: that. I never got to where you could bend the leg. You know, I got you to straight windmills. And then people started doing... Then people heard about Crown Town Crew, how dope you we were, and some... I'm kidding, by the way, there's one guy that could break dance. And then a crew came down and started doing Thomas flares. And this is about eighty-three, eighty-four. 84. If you don't know what Thomas flares are, uh, it Kurt Thomas, I think was his name. He was a gymnast, and it's when you do those gymnast moves on your hands, and you just like you're busting windmills on your hands. Oh you're yeah, not, yeah, yeah. You're not even rolling on your thing. Your legs are going. Your hands yeah. on the ground. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, is there a microphone around? Because I'm about to leave break dancing immediately. Wow. And then we got known as the whack break dancers because break dancing. Remember how it was in and then went out? Mm-hmm. It was like the Beastie Boys' first record. Mm. Now now, in retrospect When I say that People are like What are you talking about Beastie Boys were always cool Remember after License to Ill Beastie Boys were as cool As Vanilla Ice For a second And Mm -hmm. I, I mean that With due respect Because They even talk about it they even talk about it in their oh book. They, they
1: do okay yeah I, It became I, like a joke and made, things they made fun of they became like the party kind of sorority band right it was, almost a one hit wonder mm-hmm. I mean as
0: blasphemous as that sounds yeah. and then Paul's Boutique the genius came out incredible and they, they, it was incredible. a perfect bridge to let them do what they became the Hall of Fame band that they deserved to be yeah so uh, that's what kind of happened with breakdancing you know if you were a breakdancer and we were no, you were like considered lame in my high school mm-hmm. so I'm sitting there. With my Shelto Adidas's and my you know my track Fila track suit going, anybody? What are we into now? You know. So, um, but then it's funny how it all comes back and breaking's huge. And yeah, break, breakin's legit, man. It's it's a great. I I, I wish I could uh, wish I could still throw down, man. But you know, father time catches up with every break dancer. You don't see a lot of gray-haired break dancers doing nah. Thomas Flay. Maybe in anything. New York though, somewhere in New York. The Bronx Maybe, yeah, you're right. You're right about that because it's so
1: legit. They're so top back there. I would say I would say your name, Cornelius, <laughs> sounds like the leader of the Warriors gang.
0: Totally do. <laughs> Warriors It sounds like a hard ass Like yeah You better make it To the west side Warriors Oh You know it's so funny To the start of our Our, our video of Fly Which had Supercat in it We did We recreated the DJ From the Warriors mm. Remember the, You better watch out Warriors They're coming after you That's and, right And was kind of shot In this red light If you watch the beginning Of Fly Okay we, We've got a girl It's, it's actually Supercat Doing the beginning of it Um, I know I'm jumping around and I not, have, He's on my list Super Dude fun. I'm gonna be I'm gonna jump around More than Danny boy did i promise I you but but i uh, i just get excited I, I love I, your energy i knew you're gonna have the same kind of energy
1: as me like we're on this high level of life shit i don't know it's i just I, i'm happy to be alive dude yeah you know what i mean yeah I, I truly truly how, I, how, how was that a culture shock moving from connecticut to
0: it was uh, it, it broke part- my heart because I was uh I was eight years old, dude. And eight years old, you have your life. Your life is your you know, your couple friends. I'm playing, totally. I'm playing hockey, which was my whole life, you know. I go to the Whaler games at night with my my mom and dad, and that was like a big thing for me hockey and I and it was gonna be taken away. So I remember and this is crazy, and this is how long it was. I was fly- driving to the airport and Jet Airliner by Steve Miller was on the radio. You go carry me from my home. I'm like the song speaking to me and I, was, that's how old I am. The song was on regular rotation <laughs> on the radio. And I was going to that my first time down to be on a plane. And, uh, wow. I remember landing in, uh, in LA and seeing palm trees that, that you know, if you don't, if not from here, you get, you trip out the palm trees. First oh, thing right. you see. And I remember driving down going, wow, this is my new life. And, uh, So it took a while to adjust, you know, thankfully I found some good friends real early and I I was an athlete. So I, you know, I was playing basketball and stuff like that. So I was able to sort of, uh, integrate pretty quickly and meet some cool cool folks. Yeah. But you know, so I, I, uh, it it took a while though, dude, I was heartbroken. You know, East coast living is different.
1: Why LA? Uh,
0: you know, cause my dad kind of had a, uh, you know, go West, young man type oh, vibe. nice, yeah. Yeah, he was like, you know, he had an opportunity out here, and my dad just said, look, I, I want to get into land development, and it's all out there in L.A. And he started knocking on doors, cold calling. My dad was hardcore. And he got a job with Coldwell Banker because he just bothered these people forever and ever. And that that's it. So, I, you know, my, yeah, it was my job. dad. I didn't have much of a say in there, Derek, on the on the, on the move <laughs> to L.A. <laughs> Being eight years old, I wasn't really. Uh, and plus, you know, my dad was kind of a Don Draper, old school He's not listening to what an eight-year-old cared, not only about the move or what he wanted for dinner either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. How were you in school?
0: I was okay, man. You a popular kid? No, I was kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. I was an athlete, but I was like the sixth man, so I wasn't a starter. I, I dyed my hair. I had blonde bangs. Like I still do, because I thought I thought it was John Taylor from Duran Duran for a second. Sick. You know, I would draw uh, Susie and the Banshees on my peachy folder, and I would draw Ian Asper in the sex pistols and stuff. So I liked this music that didn't really reflect. I dressed like a preppy, you know, because Newport Peach, thats it's kind of what it was. Yeah, I was a surfer, but I was afraid of big waves. I skated, but I wasn't that great. I loved music, but I wasn't a musician. I wasn't talented yet. Um, so. Yeah, that's still still debatable, um, but but you you know I was just a master of of jack of all trades, master of none. I, I like a lot of things. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of my thing uh, in in uh, in high school, um, and it allowed me in the future to be interested in a lot of things. You know, I, I read a yeah. lot, and 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 there's a lot of great stuff out there. Sometimes yeah. we get stuck in our own myopia. You know what I mean? But there's amazing stuff outside of, like, your lane. If You know you know what I'm saying, oh, totally. don't you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, just when we're talking about, you know, the way you guys live and eat and, you know, and just I'm, I'm digging in a little bit and hearing about Derek's show he's possibly going to have. You know, mm-hmm. it's exciting. of health, yeah. Exciting. You know, it's yeah. It's it's. it's – I'd, I'd love to see that. So I guess I'm interested in a lot of things and just not very talented enough to be great at anything. <laughs> <laughs> but knowing your limits is a talent. Yeah. You know what I mean? So,
1: so, so you had good grades in school and, like, obviously you graduated, like – what were your goals when you get out of high school?
0: I had no goals. I I, I just wanted to delay my childhood getting out of high school. I respect that. I was super immature. Um, I grew up kind of insulated in Newport Beach. You know, I didn't, I didn't have A lot of life experiences. I wasn't in a van touring, I wasn't really in a band then. I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I kind of just did what everybody else did in Orange County or Newport Beach you know, went to like University of Southern California. Yeah, and my grades were just barely good enough to get in. I think I had I graduated with like a 2.87 and I had a combined 1040s on my SATs, which is yeah. like they would laugh at me today if I brought those grades to USC, mm-hmm. but it was enough then to get in and um i somehow some way you know i got graduated the ba in communications i i try to go business like everybody else does in newport beach yeah um and i remember this professor this math professor like straight out of central casting like you know <laughs> tape, tape glasses like kind of falling off And he's like mark you're failing this class miserably but i'll give you <laughs> c minus if you change your major And I go, no problem. And I looked around at other classrooms, and I saw the football players and cheerleaders going into this one classroom. I go, what major are you guys? We go, we're communications. I go, so am I. (laughs) You know what I mean? So am I. And that's how I became a communications major. That's how I got my degree. And now it's a total different discipline it's very difficult to get into it's a okay. it's hard to graduate from so it's totally changed back then it was like i want to be a broadcaster or advertising it was again delaying your childhood so what was good about usc it got me out of newport beach i was into la i was in cool. some culture different folks interacting you know and this was during the colors period man when like Iced-y it colors, was yeah. hardcore out there at usc you know if you stepped off campus it was it it was gnarly, you know. I got I would leave my windows down in my car in my VW Scirocco and, <laughs> and, and I'd leave the uh, change uh, thing open so no one would break into my car because it, I got wow. my windows would get breaking into every every day. It was just a gnarly deal. I mean, look, you guys, you know, from New York, and you know, but it was just it was a new sort of uh, okay. World. This is this, yeah. This is the city's pretty. You know, you better keep your head and swivel up in this. You know, especially late '80s, L.A. South Central colors period. You know, yeah. it was hardcore.
1: What was your first exposure to like? Obviously, you said punk rock, when skateboarding and stuff. What was your what was your first realization that you wanted to do music? You know, I think in my head I always wanted to,
0: you know, I had a dream. I also wanted to be the point guard for the LA Lakers. You know, we had these <laughs> dreams when we were young. Found out in eighth grade that probably wasn't gonna happen. Yeah. But I always had like a you know, I was the guy with the tennis racket and my thing, pretending I was KISS, pretending I was the Who, pretending I was the Sex Pistols, all that stuff. Yeah. You know? Um, and I was smart enough in high school. To find out that the, everybody's got that high school band that everybody follows around that's cool enough to get in the parties. I wasn't cool enough to get in the parties, but I figured out if I could somehow integrate myself with the band, ingratiate myself to them, I could maybe carry the gear or something. Mm-hmm. I get in the parties. I'm with the band now. And so that was my first live like band experience i was literally teching i mean we were calling we called it roadie back then but yeah we all know we don't call them that and uh, <laughs> they are technicians people and they the hardest working folks in uh, show business for sure but so i would literally just roadie for them because i wasn't a technician i would just mm-hmm. move their gear in i'd get in the parties and hang out and, and, and dig the music the same time i was getting into um well i remember in 1979 i heard um you know, I was kind of into like, you know, I, I was a disco guy. Okay. I mean, I would love to look back and like, and, and, and create a different narrative about my history <laughs> to sound cooler. I was so into disco. It was scary you know I was chic I was uh Gloria Gaynor any disco Sick. hit I would just bring it to me I wasn't into Zeppelin wasn't into Boston wasn't into any of that stuff and I remember bringing all my 45s to the school dance once and getting so clowned by everybody when they saw all my disco hits damn I'm just, I I'm crying with my like disco 45s I remember going, <laughs> ah, I still love your disco but <laughs> but then I remember in 79 my friend McG still my friend today McG makes made a lot of a lot of videos in the 90s did all the sugar. Videos, Smash Mouth videos, Offspring videos, Corn okay. videos, Damn. Pretty Fly for a White Guy. He ended up directing Charlie's Angels movies. Damn. He did terminate Salvation. So he's been my best friend for forty-three years. He had the Sex Pistols, and so we're sitting in drafting class one day. I'll never forget this. And he goes, "Dude, listen to this." And he had an orange walk. You remember the walk with the orange ears? Yeah. it? You guys probably don't remember. We got yeah, to yeah. So he goes, "Listen to this," and I he heard, "Fuck this and fuck that, fuck it all, fuck up. fucking all the fucker, fucking and I go are we going to jail right now? What is this? What? I, I never heard cussing in it. And he goes, it's the sex pistols, dude. It's my brother's. I stole it. It's my brother's tape. And Damn. I'm like, whoa. Was it eight track tape? It, it was a tape. No,
1: okay. it, it wasn't an eight track. No, okay. Thanks. Thanks bro for that. I no, know. I did have
0: eight tracks back. I no, have, those. It was not, it was not like the Vitrola motor m- phone. You had to like wind. <laughs> oh shit.
1: We did have eight tracks. I remember no, that. No, we shit. did. My there was, mom had there that. was
0: a never mind the Bullock's eight track. Absolutely. So, I heard that and went whoa little paradigm shift in the brain okay you know my my little fragile eggshell mind was going this is out there so it led to me like discovering black flags yeah. circles, all that and even when and discovered like some of the early LA punk like the screamers and the weirdos the plugs uh, alley cats and and you know and they were very difficult to find back then yeah you, know, you can find anybody you really had to to search and and trade tapes and and write write to people and go hey do you have the plugs uh, non at least demo and then it would come to you seven months later hopefully so true you know if it ever came um and then i'm like wow this is great and then then i started getting the hardcore like beach bands if you want to call them the you know the black flag and what became the circle jerks kind of came out of hermosa down there uh tsol the vandals you know all, all these great bands were kind of like becoming the soundtrack to a lifestyle which eventually became a business in volcom I went to school with Richard Wolcott, who started Vol- Volcom. Oh, wow. And so he kind of goes, how do we manifest this snowboard, skate, rock energy? And he did it with Volcom, which in conjunction with fans and the Warped Tour just kind of became a lifestyle. It's true. Now let's be honest, Mike Ness was the aesthetic that we all, Mike yeah. Ness was walking around with sleeves in 87 going, what? You know what I mean? It's true. Uh, so and it was, good hair. Right, always, and great yeah. hair. And, and, and great hair again. Yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um,
1: I, always, I always say that we see people who look like him. That we call them the likeness of Ness. Oh, that's so amazing. There was so many people when he played and he come out, all, everybody looks just like him at their shows. Uh, I'm stealing himself. that
0: and giving you no copyright. <laughs> the likeness
1: of Ness. When we opened up for them on their um, Heaven and Hell tour, one of the tours in 96, H2O was on the tour, and he watched us the first night and he's like, you know what, y- 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 y'all like some like hardcore doo-wop. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you got the melodies and stuff. You have these harmonies, but you're like hardcore. It was really cool. It was really cool.
0: (laughs) By the way, is there a bigger compliment you could get from Mike Ness incorporating I, any kind of '50s reference into your music? I know. I mean,
1: we always like we lived in New York, but we always like loved the West Coast, like Dickies and slickbacks, and watching all the West Coast movies and all the suicidal tendencies. Yeah, of course, of all course. That shit.
0: You know, it's, it's it's. I was talking to. I think Matt Pinfield posted something the other day about City Gardens. Yeah. And, and I kind of and I watched the documentary and I go, you know, City Gardens was a lot like the Olympic Auditorium out here in Los Angeles. You know, mm-hmm. and with the shows you guys, I saw he he. He, he uh posted a um a lineup of bands that were coming and it was like GBH and adolescence and and uh, discharge and it just looked like every show we saw in 85 86 out Same here. tours yeah, a- yeah exactly yeah. so it was interesting to see that and uh, the thing I always loved about New York hardcore is you guys kept it alive when crossover happened meaning crossover you know Pro Mags, everybody started getting a little heavier and stuff, and, and you know, Metallica and all was kind of becoming one rad thing. Slayer, what yeah. became Sepultura, of course, um, was just it was a rad, rad sort of hybrid of the, the both. But then, I guess these matinees kept happening at CBGB's. Yeah. And then, like, you know, Youth of Today. Yeah. Grilled biscuits. And, and, yeah. Grilled biscuits and the Crumb Suckers. They're, they're from Cleveland, right? Crumb Suckers? Crumb Suckers. In New
1: York. Crumb suckers in they're in New York. York. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, so, you, you made this bridge and, and let, I, I guess it was maybe the, the third wave of hardcore almost, you yeah. know, depending on how you, how you look at it. Different generations. And yeah. it was fun to watch that and sick of all getting side to Atlantic and we were there That's at with right. Atlantic and then I'm like, this is amazing, you yeah. know? And you guys just kept it alive. So that energy is just, I mean, you know, you always you always say it, Toby. It, it's a way of life, you know? I don't see myself ever not listening to this music. Yeah. You know, ne- ne- never, you know? It's just, it's something. It's in your DNA once you, you, you've been through it, I, and there's no way Sugary e a hardcore band at all. We, it's in our DNA. It's something I listen to a lot. Yeah. There's elements of some of our music, and definitely in our earlier stuff. Uh, but as a fan, man, I, I just, uh, you know, it always will exist in my soul.
1: Yeah, I mean, you guys. I mean, we'll get to that. I have that on here. You guys covered uh, Black Flag, White Minority on your first record. It was a Japanese version of that album. You had a, you had a cover song
0: in there. The um, Laminating brownies. Yeah, we did circle jerks, wasted. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did uh, white minority, black flag, and God, we did some. I think we did Wango Tango by Ted Nugent sick. just to mix it up. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Uh, That's and, cool, though. You know, the label gave us all this money, and 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 it's so funny. We got signed to Atlantic Records. Was it '86? How old do you think I am, brah? It said it said that you guys started in '86. Oh, I thought you it said signed, signed. No, you guys yeah. signed. You guys started in '86. Yeah, yeah. No, we 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 started. I, I, we, I really joined the band. The band I used to follow around in high school yeah. was the band I ended up was joining. Was Shrinky Dinks? It, that became the Shrinky Dinks. They were called the Tories. They were like a mod 60s revival band. I'd follow them around, carry their equipment. The singer was this altruistic guy that refused to play anything after 1979. Wow. You, you know? And so one day the band wanted to play black, Back in Black at a party, you know, ACDC. And I go, I know it. You know what I mean? (laughs) And I just grabbed the mic and I screamed it and yelled it, blew out my voice and then did a flip on the pole and that was it. And, it was kind of a stunned silence, like a record skipping. And everybody goes, Was that the worst or best thing we've ever seen? It was like <laughs> confusion. No one knew right away. But that put the uh, the the seed and the rest of the guys like hey, if we get rid of this thing, maybe we can do something else. And and at that time, like the late 80s was starting to crack with like faster pussycat guns and roselli guns, they kinda of wanna change their direction a little bit, you know? Yeah. And that's where I kind of that's where I kind of came in. So that became the shrinking inks, which is the only band I've ever been in, you know ever ever wow man but we got signed in 94 and so atlantic gave us all this money and the crazy thing is is we made a video my buddy mcgee yep. who ended up doing all of our videos fly when it's over he did pretty fly for a white guy did sublime santeria did all these things Damn. he goes y- you guys don't really have any songs. we had two original songs Kay. one was called lick me and the <laughs> other one was called caboose Okay. So we decided to film a video with the like the most palatable title. <laughs> Not even the song, the both songs sucked, right? So he goes, Your best asset as a band is the visual thing. Okay. And he goes, I will rob Peter to pay Paul to make a video, a 35 millimeter video that looks like it belongs in MTV. He's a real carnival barker you know like he's just a great speaker he'll really makes you believe in yourself he's an incredible yeah. human being and he get and that's why he became a director he's really amazing that way yeah and we're like okay cool so somehow he got this cameraman and a crew down and we end up filming a video and uh to caboose and we put it in a pizza box and okay. we sent it unsolicited to everybody in the world one person called back early rick rubin wow rick rubin calls back Saw the pizza box, saw the video. I love it. It's great. Do you guys want to join our street marketing team? <laughs> <We're>
1: like, <laughs> oh, is there, you, that's great marketing. Holy shit. Yeah. Well, we're like,
0: that's that's really flattering, Rick. We yeah. thought you had other ideas exactly. for our band that's trying to get a record deal. That's still sick. was the one that was wow, insane man. because he was our guru and still is today. I mean, Rick Rubin is just untouchable for it, what he's done. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still doing. Um, and the other was a management team from New York that saw it and said, we believe in you. We see you guys playing Madison square garden in five or like, yeah, sure. But they believed in us. <laughs> they didn't have any other acts. And so we yeah. signed with them by the grace of God. They got one of the guys was riding a train with a guy who came in from work that worked Atlantic records, gave the, again, the video to him. Wow. He played it for Doug Morris that day. Two days later, we get a call from Atlantic Records. Sign that ban. I don't care what's happening. Uh, I don't care what. I need that ban. They're what... They remind me of why I got into music for fun. Wow! And this man. was during the grunge period. Everybody's angry. Yeah, and dark. Black, you know, you know, down in a hole. And we're yeah. like, we just want to surf and party. You know, um, <laughs> it's a breath of fresh air. For well, time. For them, it was. And yeah. we're, we're going. How do we tell them we only have two songs? And we don't. We, forget it. Forget. It. We won't tell them. And this mm-hmm. is pre-internet, pre-social media. They didn't know. Yeah. They just believed our thing. We go, yeah, we're huge in San Diego because in San Diego, with Casbah Records, there was a scene with Drive Like Jehu. Yeah. Uh, uh rocket from the crypt and i go yeah well we're a san diego band yeah totally so like oh great and so they signed us to this multi-million dollar record deal and we're like oh my god now we got to make a record holy careful shit! careful what we asked for so having fun we decided to cover like you know black flag and you know just having fun because we used to play a lot of covers that's how we that's how the band started yeah uh and we go you know what we love house of pain let's get their dj who you know do jump around to co-produce it right to produce the record. Yeah, yeah I saw we'll, that. we'll get him and we'll be House of Pain and Danny Boy and Everlast will love us and we're just gonna be the greatest thing in the world. Then <laughs> with all due respect to Lethal, we found out that Muggs produced Jump Around. Yes. Now Lethal's one of the best producers ever. So it was a happy accident, you know, to, mm-hmm. to run into him. But he would just give us these tracks. That were just like hip-hop tracks. We're like, what do we do with these? And so we'd start doing this like, ha-ha, touch the sky. These like Price is Right jingles around them Mm -hmm. that became part of the Lemonade Brownies, our first record. So we didn't know what we were doing. We had to learn how to write songs and play our instruments. Yeah, We did everything backwards. We got a million-dollar record deal and went, oh, my God, careful what you asked for. We got to learn how to do this
1: shit. And so you were young too, Ben. I was like 20s. Like Your first record deal, first band, first everything.
0: I made a deal with my dad and he said, um, sorry, dude. I feel like you're tu- stuck in these fucking wires. Feel no, I just bad. don't want to pull them out. So no, I just like,
1: feel, we can pull this one. I feel bad for you. I feel like you like, have the sky tangled in the web over there. You're such a gentleman. You're my guest, man. Thank you, Toby. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, was, I saw lethal. Streaming anxiety, man. I was going OCD with that.
0: So, um, uh, yeah, so lethal produced it. Um, and, it was great because it was the first band he's ever worked with. Yep. He had a studio up in his house and it was just one giant party making these records and having fun. And, um, you know, we, we, we learned the, the cold realities, though, of the business back then. You know, in, in the 90s, the average was 20, 20 bands ever got signed a year. Mm-hmm. Of those 20 bands, Toby, 11 ever released a record, which wow. means they got shelved, disappeared, band, whatever happened. Yeah. Of those 11, three were successful. Wow. And that's why the economics are so shitty in the record industry. Cause you got to pay for all the failures, you know, hundred percent, you know? And, and I mean, look, it's a bummer. I don't agree with it, but it is what it is. Um, so we, we just thought, you know, we'll make this one record. We'll have some fun. And maybe we'll see some of the country that ne- never, never say world. We didn't think we'd get out of uh, America. Um, and we had never toured before. We weren't really a band. Yeah. We were a cover band that played Local parties mm-hmm. that lied our way into this, Million dollar record deal Yeah And we're like Oh my god We gotta figure this thing out That's McGee did that too He presented you as
1: like this Yes He said he made the video Look like you guys Were MTV worthy And all that Imagery and
0: all that Exactly it's true really cool The video looks like today You could still play it on MTV mm-hmm. It's just And ironically it became the template to what videos became because he edited it quickly and there was quick thing and it made no sense. People are like, what's the storyboard? We go storyboard. We're just going to shoot cool things. We like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be ice skating with no shirt on. Uh, I'm going to (laughs) be making out with a bulldog. Uh, What do you mean a storyboard? I mean, we're just going to shoot cool things we like. And that Mm -hmm. is the genius of the innocence of youth. You know, the, the being naive about the business. Don't anybody out there. Don't ever lose that. Don't know too much, man. keep following your dream, you know?
1: Yeah, it's a good, it's a great point.
0: So that record came out, and how they do? You know, you know what it did. <laughs> 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 they don't make a uh, a substance that you could, you know, you could say it went wood, it went, it didn't, it it was. But what it did do, Toby, is it took us around the world. Yeah, it's awesome. We did seven tours of Europe off that record. Wow, we did one. We did two tours of the States, one with Corn, believe it or not, Corn and Lords of Brooklyn.
1: Nice. Shout out to Lords of Brooklyn, my people, man. Love that's, those guys. Caves. Awesome. And Caves, yeah. Ad
0: money. Greatest guys in the world. Um, wow, that's awesome. Our other tour was with Monster Magnet and the Deftones. Wow, dude. Believe it or not. Those were our two tours in Spangers. the States. Insane, right? Wow. Uh, I remember the Deftones didn't have a record out, but Guy Siri was managing them. Yeah, remember them. So we were like, man, we got a record out. You guys are opening for us. And then Guy Siri did some magic voodoo. And then guess who was opening for the Deftones that tour. So, wow. <laughs> but I got to meet, uh, you know, the whole band. chi and, 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 and Chino and Abe and, and Stefan and all just coolest dudes. And totally they were on their man. way up. And it was all exciting and fun. And you could just tell the Deftones were on one. Yeah. They were doing something. They were, they were going to, you could tell it was going to take a while. You know, because you had to come to them. They weren't coming to you. But you could tell that was going to be a career band. Uh, But we did seven tours of Europe, and we got to open for the Sex Pistols out there in Europe, which is, you know, I named my son Leiden for a reason. I just, Sex sex Pistols has changed my life. Kind of going back to that body, listening to bodies for the first time. Yeah. And through all that hustle and getting over there, we made a little bit of noise, and the rap rock thing hadn't come yet, but it was coming. You know, Rage Against the Machine was really popping out there, and we were kind of riding on Corn's coattails, like we know Corn, we wear Adidas track suits, yay! You know, (laughs) and that was enough to get two to three hundred people to show up to the shows every night. Yeah, because Mm -hmm. they're fans over there; they love everything about it. Who do you know? Who produced this? They know it all. They're such great fans over there. Um, So we did just enough to come back. And we're like, God, what do we do now? And I remember a friend of mine, and a um, huge Howard Stern fan, always have been. Um, a friend of mine named John Nardichone, who worked at Atlantic Records, said, Why don't you guys cover one of Howard Stern's songs? You know, he had these songs called Psychedelic B and Silver Nickels and Silver Dimes, where I, I, I'm, I'm forgot the second song but he did it when he was eight years old and they're really bad songs but he goes "These should have been giant hits some major band should, should get a hold of this and record it and the meat puppets were supposed to do it but for whatever reason they didn't get around to it wow you know uh so we did we we were on our last tour we're on our way to wyoming we're in a van we've got about three shows left on the run of this record and it was like we might not be able to make another record yeah so uh i spoke to Johnny. he goes what do you have to lose try the uh, howard stern cover and he goes just stop by a community college sometimes they're very helpful they've got a recording studio and they'll let you record something Wow! so he called denver community college ahead of time we showed up there these kids there who just wanted to twirl the knobs and 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 we played psychedelic b we recorded it like this thrashed out punk rock version of psychedelic b Sent it to New York going whatever, forgot about it, it's never gonna happen. On our way to our crappy gig in Wyoming, everybody's fighting in the van. The lowest of low vibe. We're done, yeah. We're done. You know, are we are we blew it. We saw, we had a record deal, we're done. We're going, we're going back to our lives, it's over. And we get to the club and the, the club manager goes, Call your manager in New York right now. Now mind you, no cell phones back yeah. then, not for us. No credit cards, yeah. no nothing. We barely we had a tour manager slash tech guy, didn't have phone, nothing. And so we we go. Can we use your your phone in your office? Yeah. You, you know that vibe, right? Yeah. Um. And he goes, well, it's to New York. I I go, I know, dude, but I promised you this is a big call. So <laughs> so he we he, our manager Chip uh, goes, dude, you're not going to believe this. Howard Stern got psychedelic B. He's been playing it all day long. He wants you to come on the show immediately. Leave your stuff in Wyoming. They want you on the show. I think it was this was like a Monday. Holy and shit. We left all our stuff. Got you know borrowed our last bit of money and flew to uh, the stern show played psychedelic b he had us on there for three hours we brought our like the hottest chicks we knew from new york in there because <laughs> we knew what you know what our yeah. was all about holy shit and uh he loved the song talked about it played it and then he played it on the e channel because he was on e yep. the label suddenly got interested and came down and said all right we'll let you guys make a second record and that record holy was Flora that had fly on it and it Oh my god Goosebumps man Well it, you know A lot of Holy people say shit. Howard will tell you He's responsible for H12's career He'll tell you that And <laughs> Sepulter's career He's absolutely Had a huge hand In us getting to that That second record Wow he really yeah. did Absolutely did. We went from selling Eight copies a week You know Twelve copies a week To two thousand Five thousand Literally doubled Our total sales In like in two weeks uh, So On
1: Lemonade and Brownies On correct. Lemon and Brownies Exactly
0: Though it sold A hundred thousand In Europe You know So it was all Kind of working in concert You know holy shit so what happens after do you immediately go make florida after that well after it, that tour we said you know we better we, we better keep doing our thing and, and what happens when you get on the road and you become a band professionally you get better you know yeah. we started playing every day we started writing music every day we started thinking about songwriting what songs we like all this stuff uh and all of a sudden um we heard sublime on the radio yeah now Again, I, I everybody looks back at Sublime with rose-tinted glasses and the greatest band in the world. And I love Sublime. They're amazing. Sublime shows back in the day, which I saw a lot of them, sometimes they'd show up. Sometimes they wouldn't. Sometimes they'd go play a 90-minute dub jam straight. Boom, boom, do 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 And I'm like, I, I, I'm... I, I'm supposed to like, that, I, I guess I, you know, yeah. but you could tell there's a genius in Bradley's voice. Cause he could sound like Mikey dread. They could sound like Jacob Miller and you know, through all the, the muck and distortion and insanity. There was real talent there, yeah. you know? Uh, but then when I heard what I got on the radio condensed in this three minute piece of brilliance, like ear candy to the max, I'm like, Oh my God, sublime. And not that there was any sort of talent level or connection to that greatness, but I'm like, man, sublime did, I wonder who produced that. And I figured out it was David Kahn. Okay. And we were mentioning Fishbone earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, uh, who have some very interesting David Kahn story. Yes. And David Kahn is a taskmaster. And so we needed a producer. We got out of our own way and said, let's get, let someone else produce us who was yeah. completely objective will will you know beat us up when he has to yell at us make us cry all that because that's what we needed you yeah. know and we were slowly becoming better songwriters and when i heard first i heard a version of fly our, our drummer came up with the the hook and it was um there was no no structure no song there i was just like i just want to fly and i called my friend go, i'm quitting the band i'm coming home and we were making it in new york at the time we were making it right by madison square garden this really dingy studio Damn. and that was dark and it was and it was another dark period even though we were making a second record we were like ah we don't really have anything and we were trying to be corn tuning it down tuning everything but yeah. that wasn't really organic to who we were and uh i told I, mcchiga i go bro i'm coming home i just just uh, i'm not vibing he goes not dude not vibing this finish the song go back add some just try and finish the song take another listen there's something there i promise you again going back to his cheerleading he yeah. goes, what are you gonna co- do come down there's nothing here you're gonna come back to la and and do what they're just to finish this thing and i gotta hand it to him i did i went back and i listened to it and i put some verses into it and, and it just was kind of taking a little bit of shape you know um and and then we thought we had a little something and we had the nerve to reach out to david Kahn then because what we yeah. heard with what i got and he came in And he goes, I don't like anything else, but I like that Fly song. I will work with you guys. Wow. And so then we went, oh my God, thank you. Thank you by the grace of God. Holy Uh, shit. And so we we kept on song, kept on writing songs, getting better at that, and Fly started taking shape. you know. And I remember David said something very interesting when I was about to go record Fly. Now David Collins sitting there in the control room. I'm uh, out there with the headphones on, kind of like I am now. Atlantic Records is in there, because people knew this was the song. They all showed up on that day, right? Uh, and uh, he goes, Mark, you ready? I go, yeah, David. And, and he goes, uh, listen, I got some good news and some bad news for you. I go, okay. And, and being the Irishman that I am, I go, give me the bad news first, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, you can't sing. I go, excuse me? I, I didn't hear that, dude. My, my earphones. He goes, you can't sing. And I go, man, call me crazy, David. But what could possibly be the good news right now? He goes, I've got this thing called Pro Tools. It's brand new oh my god i can do something to your voice you you don't you can't sing but your voice has a tone if you f- listen to me and help me build this we will find your voice and we'll sell two million copies off this song he said that right there so i got that on my knees and just like just went. i i'm whatever you need and we literally start going all around stop uh, and, and he just started showing me where my voice was. Wow! It was man. most of them, because he's such a cerebral, scientific dude. His approach to music is so am- it's scientific. Yeah. And so he found my voice, which led to fly. And I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, Holy this shit. is great. And then I go, but it's not done. There's something missing. I think we need like a, a dance hall artist. I, I feel like we need like some toasting on this. I, David, you probably don't know this guy, but I feel like like we need like a super cat on mm-hmm. this song. He goes, what'd you say? I go super cat. He goes. I signed Supercat to Columbia. I'll call him right Holy now. Holy shit. Supercat. Hey, Cat, how you doing? David Kahn. Yeah, I got a song. Send it, blah, blah, Sends it to Cat. Cat goes, I love the vibe. I'm on the song. Holy shit. And then he man. comes out and gets on the song. So it was all these serendipitous, wow, divine man. interventions that made Fly happen. Yeah. All of these strange things. So our drummer didn't come up with that, ah, yeah. you know, I'm like a Tiny Tim type vibe <laughs> happening, man. But, you know, if. We, we, I wouldn't be talking to you. You know, if Mcgee That's didn't convince me to go back crazy. and finish the song. I wouldn't be talking to you. If sublime didn't exist with what I got, I wouldn't be, you know, so all these weird little happy accidents happen. And by that, we started getting better as songwriters. And every morning came and some someday came falls apart. You know, Yeah, we got super lucky, super lucky, but you know, luck, luck has never found me while I was sitting on a couch. It's found me out when I'm doing things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean? That's yeah. one, one piece of advice I give people. Luck, luck is going to be part of your, of your, trip no matter what it is but you're gonna find more of it out your front door I promise you yeah that. I love that and I the
1: one part of that song is like 25 years old my mom god bless her soul did your mom pass away when you were younger
0: no wow no. I always I always yeah. wanted to ask you that And a lot of people are bummed out at me about that lyric and it made me sad man that, I know. that part of the song well it, it was it's supposed to make you sad okay you know, because <laughs> it worked <laughs> what I didn't know is that when my because we didn't a lot there was three main songwriters in Sugar Ray and someone would write a piece and someone would write the other part, but we wouldn't tell each other what we were writing about. Mm. And our our drum went, I just want to fly was talking about like, you know, positive things. And I started making dark lyrics and their verses. And that's why they kind of worked. But I stopped telling people what the songs mean because they get so bummed out. So when people go, Didn't your mom die when she was twenty five? I'm like, No. When you were 25, yeah. And they go, You're a liar. You know, and they're like, Don't <laughs> want to listen to the song anymore? But where I got that lyric from, Gilbert O'Sullivan. Has a song called Alone Again Naturally. Yeah, yeah. Remember that song? Yeah. And he goes, It's 65 years old, my mother, God rest her soul. Holy so shit. So I went, That's a great lyric. So I went, So I went, 25 years old, my mother, God rest her soul. Holy so shit. 25 fit better than. You know than any other number, and my mother was still alive. So, were you twenty five at the time? No, I was not. Holy I was shit, not. man! I, was, I always I was thought not. that, man. I know, and I don't mean to bum anybody out or <laughs> or bum any because I know once you put the songs out there, they're yours. I know, and they mean what they mean to you. That's why I don't like to tell people what they mean. That's anymore. a great point too. They're yours, and if you're if you're grateful enough, To have an audience. They're your songs, and that's that's why people ask you, "What do you mean there?" That go, really well, that, that tugs some
1: heartstrings for millions of people, I'm sure, man.
0: Well, it was supposed to. It was supposed to. You know, I, yeah. I didn't think people would take it so literally. Because you know, when when Alone Again Naturally Six five. I, I was eight years old when I first heard that song, I didn't assume, you know what I mean? I just it was it was a vibe to me. Yeah, you know? interesting. So it was inspired by uh you know by Gilbert Sullivan because I grew up on all those suicide hits of the seventies, you know, those one hit wonder suicide <laughs> hit dentist chair songs you used to have to listen to, you know. You're like, oh god. Yeah. So that's where that that's where uh where that, that lyric came from. Was yeah. your mom bummed on that line? Did she understand that? No, because she knew where it came from. Okay. She's a gigantic. Okay. Music fan, and the greatest thing about the fly video, and I knew it was going to be at the time, is that all our moms were alive. And I said, you know, it'd be really cool at the end of the video if we hugged all our moms after. Yeah. That. And we we did. Yeah. And there's only one mom still living of all those moms, so it's it's a moment. I'm super grateful that we, we, we put in. Yeah. And they didn't want it in the storyboard. Again, it doesn't fit the storyboard. It's going to be too. I go. Quiet Atlantic Records. We're doing
1: this. You know, it, it means mm. a lot to us. Um. Was so. There was another song, RPM, on there that got played. And also, I didn't realize you did Stand and Deliver with Adam Ann. That's sick.
0: Huge, like, Neuro fan. I mean, we went back to the John Taylor, Dying My Bangs. And, you know, K-Rock out here was, it, it, it was everything to people growing up in Southern California. Yeah, played different stuff you wouldn't hear in the K-Rock in New York. A- exactly. Believe it or not, Depeche Mode was considered indie and alty, and almost mm-hmm. college rock, where Depeche Mode could play the Rose Bowl out here. Yeah. They go to Chicago and play the Metro. Yeah, it's true. I mean, imagine them trying to plan for the Rose Bowl. Okay, we got the Rose Bowl in two weeks. Now we gotta, <laughs> we gotta hire nine trucks. You know what I mean? We've yeah, got one yeah, yeah. van and a trailer right now. Yeah. So K Rock delivered this amazing staple of psychedelic furs flesh for Lou, you know, Duran Duran, all the stuff that necessarily became popular, like post, you know, with the retro in the eighties, sort Mm -hmm. of a nostalgia, but it wasn't popular around the world, but that stuff meant so much to me. And Adam Ant was one of those artists. I just loved. Adam Ant. Obviously had a punk rock background, you know, being sort of, uh, Malcolm McLaren kind of inspired him what to do. Yeah. Had his, had his you know, uh, roots in Bow Wow Wow. Um, and I just love the Tribal yeah. zone. I love it. So we just, you know, again, getting back to like a, a label giving you a lot of money to cover songs. Well, let's yeah. cover stand and Deliver. You know? Was he on it too or no? No. No. Okay. He was not on it. And I don't know if he's ever even heard it. You know, you, you wonder. I mean, listen, he got a nice check every quarter. Sure. And he must have wondered why his thing doubled every quarter. Yeah. So I hope, I hope he... Uh, I hope you liked it. I think we we did a pretty tried and true version and, and kept the uh, integrity mm-hmm. of it. I think I, I hope so. At least
1: and that record did what? Double platinum? Went
0: double platinum, man. Which wow, is, uh, man. You know, and then where I was like, we might be here for a little bit, you yeah. know, because at the whole time you just feel like a fraud as a musician. I did. I always have. Always felt that I somehow snuck in the back stage and they were going to see I didn't have a pass and kick me out, you know. Mm. Once you get, I remember once we got the a gold record where that went gold and we got it in the hollowed halls of Atlantic Records from Ahmed Erdogan. I'm like, we might be here for a little bit when I got the gold record. At least we're making another record, you know? And so when it went double platinum, I'm like... Jesus Christ! Now I'm out of debt. Even you know what I mean. And this I should change. Feel like people recognize you. Like did you changed like overnight. Change in Orange County on a Friday. I could walk into any mall. And uh, when MTV added it, when MTV added it to like heavy rotation on a Friday, there wasn't a mall I couldn't walk. And no one cared. By that Monday, because of the hairdo and all that, wow, it man. was it was over. It was a really strange scene to get used to and go through. And there was a point there where you know Sugar Ray got pretty big, where like it almost got crazy, like security and stuff like that. Wow. And I'm really grateful it didn't because. You know, I, I like my life now. I got a little, a lot of, I got a level of celebrity where people go, Oh, there's that dude, or there's that douche, you know, it's non-threatening and <laughs> I might get a nice table at a restaurant or something, you know, but it's, it's a nice level of celebrity. It, I, I've, it's, it's pretty gnarly up there with the Britney Spearses and those guys. You guys to, are
1: on that level, though, for a well, second. We, we, we,
0: we had a cup of coffee up there, let's say, with, yeah. the, with the Blink-182s of the world and stuff. And, you know, when you're going double platinum, it's not up to you to decide if you're popular anymore. The people have spoken. You, yeah. When you have a number one song, the people have spoken, you know. So do you, do you like, buy your first house off those, that record? Uh, I did. I did. I bought awesome. me, I, and we were all in super in debt. All our cre- sure. none of us could get a credit card because we ruined all our credit. So yeah. we had to clean up all our credit. That was great. And then not riding dirty for the first time in like twenty five years, meaning my insurance is paid up, my registration's on, I got a car that works. You know, it was like <laughs> all these great things. You know, yeah, the rent was cool. I think I got health insurance for the first time in my adult life since my parents kicked me off theirs you know yeah I mean, you became an adult and with that comes the business mm-hmm. now the business is coming in you know and are you
1: single there too when you party, partying when that's going on we oh well I, like up? i
0: said i've been with my girl for like you know we met in 94 but yeah. believe me i mean i did everything to wreck that relationship we broke up a, a bunch of times you know i i we got we started to party and have fun and i know yeah. you you're, you've never had a drink in your life yeah. god, bless, god bless my 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 best friend mcgee was like that too um but um, we started this to play cover songs: Judas Priest, Zodiac yeah. Mindwork, Motorhead, Fun party. Blondie. That's what we did. That, that's where. Our, that's what the same like ethos remained. Yeah. So now we show up backstage. Wait, there's beer and there's Jameson and vodka. We don't want to be rude we better yeah. drink all this stuff so yeah. listen we all know this you don't figure out the road the road figures you out T- meaning, totally you know father time's unbeaten and the road is unbeaten meaning yeah. you go out there um, it's a funny story the first corn tour we did they were sponsored by jägermeister oh jesus good idea right there lords of brooklyn with all their people hanging around the most tough gnarly guys with like one eye. toughest crew i've ever seen <laughs> lords of brooklyn were so gnarly and all of them would beat your ass too uh and then corn it was just on some heavy gnarly yeah. stuff right there and us uh jägermeister decides to put a kegerator of jägermeister in their dressing room Damn. that lasted two nights Peter Katzis Ooh, said, "Get that thing out of here! I don't care what Jagermeister is playing. Get that wow, out!" Wow, man. So the point being, like, if you go out there going, "I'm going to party, I'm going to do all this," man, you you last a couple nights and then you burn th- out, or you don't and you quit and you 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 know you become a casualty of it all. So you kind of got to figure out what your thing is. A, you owe it to the audience. B, you owe it to the band, and C, you owe it to yourself. You know, yeah. and it becomes a business and a profession. Then, so there took a little bit of. Uh, uh, trial by fire for me to figure that out. Because you want to celebrate your success. Of course I do. True. got here to party. double record. I'm doing a lot of coke off that double platinum record immediately. <laughs> you kidding me? I've been dreaming my whole life about this. So you were wilding out for a little while. Yeah, Wait, yeah. yeah. No, for more than a little while. Okay. You know, it took, it took me a long time to <laughs> figure. There's a reason why I didn't have kids till I was 42, you know? Mm. Believe that, you know? Yeah, it's hard to grow up when you're in that because you're, like,
1: you're living your dream and you can do whatever you want. You make your own rules. You're like, you're your own boss. You know what I mean? You get to this fucking live and like, like, we're big kids men are such big kids still but it's so true
0: and i used to pay people to take care of me mm. so i wasn't in a position to take care of anybody else you know and mm. and, and, and you know, we flexed it we used it we enjoyed it you know what i mean we had a great time doing it and i don't regret it there's things i regret but i don't regret the whole thing you know we had a good time and i'm glad we learned how to do it i'm super grateful these songs we wrote i'm super grateful and thank yeah. you to everybody out there listening i know it's kind of crazy i'm on this podcast but, I, but i'm grateful to be here and those that are listening that Maybe the song puts a smile on your face like Toby yeah. mentioned earlier. I'm just so happy these songs mean something to people and all these years later, I can still make a living playing music and yeah. do something I love. And and I know it sounds cliched, but it's only cliched because it's said by the people who get to do it. I can't articulate the feeling because yeah. it's a dream. It's a good point. How do you say what it... How can you... You know, it's it's colors, yeah. it's rainbows, it's unicorns. Yeah. So I'm just so grateful these songs mean something to somebody. And if you see me playing to Zucchini Fest and you smell churros cooking, no, I'm the happiest fucker around. Yeah. The happiest dude. Yeah. Even though my band took a different lane, you know, than than it started out in, I it's a very comfortable lane. I'm super grateful for it. I want to want to go on record. that You're the first guy I
1: seen rocking black white beaters. You were rocking the black white beater tank top back then. <laughs>
0: Hardcore I'm dude. Saying, nobody was. Hardcore. And You were shirtless a lot too, though. Early years, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even I would pack for Europe. I wouldn't even bring a shirt. But believe me, <laughs> there was you know, there's a reason why I'm not shirtless today. So yeah. No shirt, no <laughs> service though, <through> back then. <laughs> no shirt, no shoes. Yeah, no you service. used to rock the
1: black white feeders yep. and fucking Yep. No shirt.
0: No shirt, the Adidas shorts. Remember those Adidas uh, yeah. sweats that they made into shorts? And where did
1: the Rolex thing come from, your tattoo? What inspired that? You love Rolex?
0: I love I love Rolex watches. I see okay, you're I, I right not Not a jewelry guy. Yeah. I'm not even a watch guy. I love Rolexes. Okay. Period. So, I never thought in a million years I'd ever be able to afford one. Yeah. So, someone bet me 100 bucks I wouldn't get a Rolex watch tattoo. I wouldn't get a Rolex watch tattoo, you know? Yeah. And I go, "I'll absolutely get a Rolex watch tattoo." So, I, I went in there, got the tattoo. and I go, "Give me 100 bucks." And the guy go gave me 100 bucks. I go, "Killer." Tattoo guy goes, "100 bucks, please." I just went <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, I I love I, I, I love it. I I don't know if Rolex loves it, but did you ever uh, do a collab with them or anything back then uh, with Rolex? Yeah, busy. I don't think they re- I don't think they're super stoked on. I and mean, they must be now. I mean, I got that too in '93. I think so. I don't yeah. think they were like, going let's roll with the tattoo crowd back." Yeah, then, you know, like Travis got Cadillac.
1: He loved yeah. Cadillac. Yeah, yeah, which is it's
0: a love thing. Yeah yeah, 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 and I just love the Rolex. I also thought too it'd be the only one I'd ever own. You get it? Because I I own that tattoo. Yeah. So I thought, well, at least if someone goes, you have a Rolex, I'd be, yeah. And how many Rolexes do you have now? I have two. Okay. I have two. Did you have a bigger collection back then? No, I didn't. You know, I was never a things guy. One thing you learn when you have money is like, okay, what am I? What kind of guy? Yeah. Am I the guy that changes with the seasons when Gucci fall collection comes out? Here's the fall. Here's the spring. You try and rock that for a second. Then you figure, oh God, I wore the flower Gucci shirt. Now some guy's clowning me like Ben Baller or something because I've got the-, the, the Shout sp- out to Ben Baller. Yeah, I love Ben by the no, <laughs> no, no, no way. I've got the spring collection 2008 on and he'd yeah. be the guy that'd call me on it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, okay, I don't want to play that game. And then I got a Mercedes and lower with low pros I got and I didn't didn't leave. Really you're going like, through different things, trying different things. I was trying buying. I was saying when you first get money, this is what rich people do. Yeah. This is what I'm supposed to do. You know, luckily I did buy a house. That was one smart thing I did. Yeah. But then I then I thought I don't need stuff. I went back to the Dickies and house shoes and Hell yeah. And and and, and you know shirt and V necks v-, v-, v and yeah. I do like a nice watch and I I and I that, but that's it. Never been a jewelry guy. Never never got the chains or anything like that. And, you know, I think I, you rocked V-necks back in the day, too. I have always rocked V-necks. before I'm people talking before, high school. Before people rocking V-necks, too. Oh, always been the V-neck
1: guy. Yeah, oh, V-necks in the tank tops, man. It was just for some reason, <laughs> dude. I was young and
0: good-looking once, man. <laughs> <laughs> it.
1: Oh, yeah. I got that written down here, too. We have so much talk. But you got 1998, sexiest rock star for People Magazine. I don't want to brag.
0: You ha- do you have that framed? I, I don't want to brag. Is that I, framed in your crib anywhere? I, I, I do not. Okay. You, know, you know what? I'm not look at me guy. If you walked into my house, you wouldn't know I lived there. Okay. You know, I love that. Um, i'm i'm grateful i mean it it was a fun thing to do i took a lot of shit from everybody for that but when someone calls you i'm going hey man do you want to be people magazine you say no i mean this is a promotional business you know um it is funny to say 98 I was like i'm people (laughs) magazine's sexiest guy in 1975 you know what i mean but the thing is dude if you hang your hat on that this is where it gets dangerous you start feeling yourself well go sexy guy. look at the look at the but a, a career has never been wow you're still so sexy it doesn't it doesn't yeah. you, you can't ride that it was fun to do and and people were kind it was grateful and people liked it and fans liked it and it was fun i took a lot of shit from everybody and not, my band destroyed me um but it's not something you can hang your hat on in a career it's yeah. a part of my history fun thing and you move on i mean look i did candy's ads you know yeah i've done all sorts of well-documented you know things that are you know they're questionable. <laughs> <But still. laughs> With your ass hanging out in the candy's ad, you know what I'm saying. Maybe but yeah. it's, that's when it's good. I, to have I don't a, know. How, I don't know how hardcore that is, bro. That's
1: when it's good to have a lady to keep you in check, though. Yeah, yeah. A lady that really knows you. Well, she's awesome. Like, well, go get though. Go get that bag, dude. Exactly. You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. She's like, you kidding me? She will tell you if it's corny or not. She'll be straight up and tell you. You know? What oh, mean? she
0: will tell me, and I'll still do it because <laughs> that's just me. You know what I mean? And she'll check me, but I'll still do it. She's smart and cool. I am for sure. Um, so how,
1: so you guys tore in that floor record for a while. So so it's fly hit. Fly hits and ego on that tour, on that for a long time.
0: Yeah, and it was funny. The first real tour we did uh, was the warp Tour. That was like the first yeah. real. This tour lasts a while. We've got a, we've got our own bus. That's ninety seven. Yeah, ninety seven warp Tour. It's legit, and all these great bands are on it. So that was the first. That's when the ride started taking off. And I was telling you earlier, Kevin Lyman does not play. You know, we were, no. we were, we weren't on a stage. There was like four stages on the Warped Tour. We were on the stage that drives to the venue. It was on the back of a flatbed. flatbed truck yeah so i think we were playing on a on a um a lineup with a pulp fiction cover band they did like link ray covers Sick. and some other things we have flies like number five in the country our record's gone platinum and we're on the drive up truck playing at 12 30 every morning on the warp tour now for me it was great because i got to see every band but i had yeah. kids come up to me going when are you gonna play it, man? We're excited to see it and i go played eight hours ago bro you know yeah. and so i went to kevin i go kevin Listen, this isn't for me. I promise you, I understand the ethos. I get it. It's punk rock. You gotta pay your dues. So I'm it's getting a lot of fans that are just going, hey man, I wish you could would have played later. We came to see you. And is there any way to move up to the third stage that doesn't have wheels on it? You know? <laughs> An actual stage? Right. Hey, maybe a stage. Yeah. And he went, No, you gotta earn your dues. And I've never respected a man more in that moment because that wasn't going to move the needle at all, you know, because that would have been the time. Yeah, we'll move you to the third stage. We were asking to go to the first or second stage, you know. Just, you know, no, he's just said no. You got to pay. This is what it's about. It's how we roll, and that's why that tour lasted, you know, thirty years. I've I
1: seen you guys play on the flatbed trucks, and it was thousands of people watching. It was crazy. Yeah, we, we still, were still doing great shows. Yeah,
0: we were grateful to the people that came over, and they, yeah. they did find us, and you know, by word of mouth, people knew that it was happening early, and, and it was great. So it worked out to be great. Best tour I've ever been on for sure. I know you. Yeah, know that.
1: yeah, that's what. Uh, will am said a couple of weeks ago i had him money talking about that like really learning how to be a touring band and dealing with different audiences winning crowds over all that for yeah sure. it definitely
0: definitely especially coming from a hip-hop vibe you mm-hmm. know i was so great about i mean just look, look at the history and the pedigree of that 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 Warped Tour did I mean gave Eminem his first start Limp Bizkit's yeah. first start I mean Kid I Rock I mean well, no matter what you feel About these people I mean they Katy Perry Katy Perry Exactly Yeah So but I remember watching Hepcat every day oh, yeah. and going, Hep-Cat This is the greatest there. band And those are the two Of the coolest dudes I've ever seen And <laughs> I just I had so much fun Because you know, we were on MTV. I just my dream. It was, that was my dream come true, coming true in real time. Yeah, Alcoholics were on there. Sick of it all.
1: Descendants, face to face. Blink. Social D. We both love. Yes. Real big fish. The Vandals. Limp Biscuit. Boss Tones. Boss
0: Tones. Damn, were amazing. Bo- Boss Tones. Because the great impression bands. that I get was cracking too. That's right. That was starting to hit hard. And Dickie's like, well, we're on the judge too, dude. <laughs> it was so <laughs> funny. <laughs> and you remember everybody- he's wanted. The greatest, one, man. He's the nicest, greatest, most wonderful- Great fucking band, man. What, what a great ambassador- for Boston, punk rock, yeah, hardcore cool. ska, everything he did. Agreed. He's a wise man. He's yeah. a very wise man. Yeah. Do you remember on that door that everybody wanted one of those social D jackets? Remember the- uh, Yeah, the uh, work Dicky jacket. The Dickey jacket. jacket. Everybody. And they were like so, 200 bucks and we're like, man, man can you swing <laughs> us one? And then Mike lost some money to me in CeeLo. I think he lost like, you know, um, uh, Four hundred bucks to me, but he gave yeah. me one of those jackets instead. And I go, I'll take it. Yeah, fair totally. deal, fair deal. Yeah, all the bands played. See you every night.
1: And what Mark's talking about is that on the Warped Tour, you don't know what time you're going to play. Doesn't matter how many records you sell, what stage you're on. Every morning around ten or eleven, you get your schedule. So you can't tell friends what time. You tell your friends, get there early next. I don't know what time I'm going to play. It doesn't matter who you are. And Kevin's stuck by that for every band, Kid Rock,
0: everybody, man. And it's cool because even like Rancid, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah pa- pa- Pennywise, you know, yeah. it's like it was a luck of the draw and, and yeah. no effects. I mean, these guys that absolutely paid your dues you think a couple years later they could have said kevin listen we're not going on any earlier than 6 p.m and they didn't to their credit everybody understood the attitude and vibe of that yeah. and if you didn't you were quickly off the tour
1: yeah i remember some 41 was getting paid like uh, not not that much money they're on the flatbed truck and they shit a, a huge song on the fucking radio yep and thousands of people watching and like yeah, you kind of learn how to hold your own out there, you know.
0: Without a doubt, it cost us money to go on the Warp Tour with a platinum record and a top ten single. Wow! he <laughs> gave us a hundred bucks because we we had made our deal like six months before that we were just so we don't care what it, we just want to be on the Warp Tour, you know, before Fly was even released. Yeah. Uh, so we, I think we would get a hundred bucks a night, you know.
1: But then after the tour coming off up through, what were shows like for you how big were they it was
0: crazy then, then you know we, we hooked up with Smash Mouth who was doing a similar thing at the time Yeah, walk on the sun and fly were competing for one and two on every genre wow. of music it was really fun to be a part of with those guys as well and then we stepped up to 930 clubs the Irving Plaza's of the world the Metro's Sick. you know we came back here and played the the Palace I'm not sure what they call it anymore um, but uh, and that was just amazing because that was a venue I saw the Depeche Mode and all these bands House growing great, up yeah. yeah I know it had the Dean Martin and you know, stairway and I uh, yeah. and, and that's my mom and dad came. We're like, this is really happening. I'm so excited. It was just very, very cool. <laughs> a toy, it was really fun, man. It's yeah. awesome, man. And then we uh we took that to summer, did a bunch of like one and radio shows, and then we we uh hooked up with Goldfinger and Save Ferris in uh in ninety okay. eight and went out with those guys. Goldfinger, okay. And that that'd be ninety eight, and that's before fourteen fifty nine. Yeah, that was before fourteen fifty nine. That was uh we were riding out. We were riding, uh, were riding the wave a little bit, you know? Yeah. And people were very quick to say, hey, Sugar Ray, thanks for playing. One Hit Wonders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and by the way, rightfully so, because, you know, Fly was the. What's uh, up, bro? How you doing? Mark, <laughs> it's Mark. Man. That's my son, nice nice Max. You, Pleasure. I'll do, I'll do you do. <laughs> Ray's right, you can tell. Nice um, to meet you, Max. Uh, um, Fly was the anomaly on that record. So people yeah. were quick to say, hey, uh, there's a One Hit Wonder cruise ship waiting for you guys. It's got Kajigugu on it. It's got the Proclaimers, everybody you want. Go so ahead with it. So them. that's a lot of pressure. It was, but we, it is because it happened so quickly. Yeah, like here we are in the summer on the Warp tour. this is brand new! Oh my God, this is killer! And then in February I was like, thanks for playing. It's over, you know. And we hadn't released another record yet. People were yeah. so. But, in but Fly record, was out crushing. Fly, Fly was Fly, Fly was going through its mode. He it was coming down now. I mean, it was crushing for like seven months. It went through every genre. They played Fly on BET
1: wow B E T, and That's so amazing it was amazing
0: so it went started off an alternative and then went to like hot ac and then went to AAA, a and i was damn near on christian radio you know what i mean it just it, wow. it did everything it went everywhere it was setting records it was it, people didn't know what to do with it. it was so in demand it was amazing so we were the perfect candidates to be one hit wonders perfect because yeah. like i said it was the anomaly on the record it didn't sound like anything else um we weren't the most talented band in the world. I think people saw that when they saw us live. A lot of smoke and mirrors going on. So I, I, I think the odds were heavily, I would have bet against us. And I did. That's why I named the record, next one, 1459. Yeah, I love that. Um, that came out in 19,
1: 1999. And that went quadruple platinum with Someday Every Morning Falls Apart. Three bangers. Yeah. Three man. fucking bangers on that, dude. You, 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 know. Were they bigger than Fly?
0: Uh, every morning was bigger than Fly. Wow. Every man. morning went to number every one.
1: Morning. And it's so, so good so man. Grateful.
0: again my drummer came up with that one okay uh in a different voice and i'm like oh that's killer but he goes to me this is the verse i go are you out of your mind you could never follow that with anything let me write some verses like we did last time kind of worked and, I'll, and i wrote the bridge um and it, it worked out but he goes this is the verse imagine trying to write something out there Everyone! Like, what do you yeah. do <laughs> so uh again going back to like you know it was truly uh the songwriting was a, a true, you know, some of its parts, you know, yeah. there was no Noel Gallagher in this band, you know. Someday's great too, man. I, th- I remember this, Toby, just to get back when, when in uh, the winter of 98, like December of 98, we, we finished the record. Um, and the song was going to be released in January, but you know, Atlantic feathers out the single to people to get some excitement or to like yeah. tastemakers, they believe that can push this or, you know, big DJs at pop radio and someone played it and and posted something on um, this music rag that said, well, it looks like every morning is going to be the first number one of 1999. And I remember reading that going, yes. Because like, Holy I shit. think this will be a career now. You know, because you can have, you know, it's funny. I remember my again my best friend McGee and i talking in the 80s about music and going what do you think how many records do you think it have to sell to never have to work again if you're in a band we both went double platinum we agreed on that it'd be double platinum you know because the black crows are double platinum then and like the bands were you probably never have to work again we both agreed on that and then Floyd went double platinum and then we quickly realized that might not happen and when oh. every morning this guy this real guy that was a real player in the radio business said this well looks like we found our first number 1 of 99 it was almost the happiest i've ever been because oh, i knew it was going to be a career then yeah, yeah it's like
1: it's not the sophomore jinx cuz that's the third record yeah right so it's like so someday, and every morning was big, and then falls apart. Yeah, every morning was one number falls one. Apart. I've been listening to songs for all week because then you're coming. Sorry, Toby, no, I love it. It's, it makes me <laughs> smile. I just and, and they, they they bring me back to the memories of those times. Like because I listen to all types of music. Yeah, me too. And but just they, they make you the song just make you smile. You know what I mean? Like I appreciate super that. positive man. I,
0: well, that that was the vibe we were writing them. You know and. You know, people hear the uh, word nostalgia and bands try to run from them because they think their career is over. No, no, no. Sugar Ray deals in nostalgia, bro. We write new songs we, you know, all the time. If you want to hear those, they're available. But yeah. we, we know exactly why we're here and while we'll st- we're still here and overpaid yeah. and underworked. Believe me. <laughs> uh, so you're going to hear them like you you, you want to hear them. And if we can put a smile on your face, Toby Morse, we, we've, we've done our job. You, you, yeah, definitely
1: um so you guys toured on that record was that, that was a big one
0: that was a big one we did a lot of touring on that first tour was with everlast uh, on that one on a solo record everlast wow great record and he came out with what it's like and great. he was another guy that people were like thanks for playing everlast you know oh everlast is writing acoustic songs now good luck with that and we, we, we all thought Killed that it, man. and destroyed and it was fun to be a part of that because everlast is part of the family you know great having record. worked with lethal and all that yeah. n- known him forever so we got to work with him with what it's like, and every morning trading number ones and twos while we we're wow, on that tour, it was man. so much fun. And a band called the Two Skinny Jays opened up. I know for the us. name of that. They're name. from Jer- they're from New York Jersey area. They come out they came out in like astronaut costumes that were. They were kind of a, a novelty thing, but wrote really great songs. It's a shame they never got beyond the novelty, but they uh, that's that what name. happens when you wear astronaut suits and you know, and astronaut helmets out there. Uh, but <laughs> Everlast insisted they be on the tour, and what Everlast wants, Everlast gets. Yeah. Uh, and that was a really, really fun tour. You know, To see him coming back, his record went triple platinum. It did, that's and right. And we were so happy, because we're like, we're going to be around a while. It was just great vibes, great vibes. Then, after that tour, this is the tour that almost killed me and a lot of people. We went on the MTV Campus Invasion Tour with the band Orgy. Oh, shit. I remember Orgy. Orgy. (laughs) Talk about a band that lived down to their name. I mean, that Mm. band was on. They were on some next level partying shit. I mean, these dudes would come out in the morning with makeup and leather and like Jay Gordon, lead singer's like six foot five. He'd wear a high heel boots anyway, and oh, wow. a, it would be like seeing the New York Dolls come out of their van in like 1975 after a tour of the states, just ragged and yeah, and if, if they even slept at all. And these supermodels would just be coming in and out of their bus all the time. And that tour was just debauchery. And it's fine. All we did was play college campuses. I mean, wow, all we did man. it was. Insane, and and then we went there's no cell phones back then. Oh, dude, 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 I've heard you talk about that before, and uh, yeah, yeah, even though we might even
1: be here, even though we
0: filmed a lot of our stuff, like we were on some jackass stuff, you know, and I, (laughs) I, 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 like we all kind of were. I mean, jackass had a nerve, we were all kind of do filming each other, doing stupid stuff, you know, I'm sure you were too. Uh, some Europe stuff, and you've just been out seven weeks, and you've lost your mind in the bottom lounge, and you decide to put pizza somewhere it shouldn't be, and then eat it. You know what I mean? Mm. There might be film of that somewhere. <laughs> 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 so it was a faux crazy tour. It was one of the craziest tours. It was just insane. It was insane because because Orgy was at the peak of their, their powers. That Blue Monday cover was blowing up. I think their record went platinum. And it was arenas. We played the arena on the college campus. Okay. So you know, my dream was always to play arenas. You know, yeah. I don't care who you are. Yeah. Eddie Vedder. John Joseph, everybody <laughs> wants to play arenas. That's our dream, man. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you were if you were raised on Kiss, your dream was to play, uh, you know, arenas. So that was the one every night. I just uh, looked at the itinerary. And it's like these arenas i would see in sporting events you know now i'm playing these I'm that's like, cool man, man. It was amazing amazing so that's the big venues first big venues you guys hear. Big, ve- actually i gotta take that back uh 311 took us out with them which was a great tour a uh, 311 which is an amazing band, great such band great musicians such great songs you know talk about feeling good go put on amber by 311 and try not to smile oh, that's right such, amber, a, such yeah. as a great song so they really they kind of showed us how to tour and some band opened for us to, uh, i can't remember the ink Incub- incubus. Incubus. Yeah, some some small. There. I went. What happened? So it was Incubus, Sugar Ray, and 311. Believe Holy it or not, shit. on that tour, and it was an amazing tour. I discovered mushrooms on that tour. I had never nice. never done hallucinogenics in my life. I know you don't. You don't do those things. And I don't even eat real mushrooms because they think they're gross. but that's uh, I Yeah, I, I I don't either, uh, but I ate these crazy ones. And <laughs> I remember I wrote a manifesto on a USA Today. I stayed up all night and wrote this thing. I'm, like, I'm changing the world, man. I'm in touch with everything. I got it. <laughs> and I woke up the next morning just like feeling so bad. It was like blah, 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 blah. It, 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 was, it was words, but didn't yeah. say anything. It, it was crazy. So that was my one experience with, uh, with the shroomy shrooms. I, Incubates I, blew up after that, huh? oh incubus just went, went nuts after that they they always had something crack we took them to europe with us you know did you knew they were gonna blow up i did I, I i did they were they were on a little bit too much of a hippie vibe when they first started yeah. they, they'd be a little bit jammy jammy jam jam. a little bit hordy horde festival is for me and that's never been my thing you yeah. know I, I appreciate the art for sure uh but then they learn how to condense into song and then they i i pardon me came out i was like all right, this oh, guy, it's, right. it's a wrap these guys are done and and Right, so good, they're still man. playing arenas. And I'm going, hey guys, you remember the 311 tour? Uh, any chance we could? No, okay, I was just calling. I was just calling to check. Get... Did you guys get to sheds, arenas type shit? We never did. Not by ourselves. Okay. We we again real close, and we might play one or two like Freedom Hill in okay. in Detroit. You know, it's got that great amphitheater. It's about seven thousand people. That was our biggest grossing um show ever because awesome. it was sold out. And uh, seven thousand seats sold, so we never, we just as a live band, you know, we kind of blew it because some of our hits had um, a lot of hip hop undertone to DJs them. DJs and stuff. Yeah. yeah, so our drummer would come off the drums mm-hmm. a- and play uh, and play acoustically yeah. to the songs, um, and so. I, I, people might have thought a little, might have been a little bit of Milli Vanilli going on. Mm. I'm not sure. I mean, we sang them. We we did, You know, we 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 were all playing live. You know, it was the drums were obviously tracked yeah. because that's we wanted it to sound like the record. You know. Yeah. Um. And people were using a lot of hip hop tracks to like you know un- undercut acoustic things. And that was kind of happening then. Um, but also like We just weren't that great live either You yeah. know We'd be drinking And having fun Sloppy I'd talk too much Believe it or not <laughs> uh, Between songs and stuff So Yeah I mean I understand why We never became that giant live act I hope people come now And have fun And, and like Enjoy the show Yeah and That's what we're about now uh, we're then, We were then too But things could have been sloppy You know We had nine hangovers We haven't felt yet We'd be going out there You know And just You know We We uh, could We could be a little loose, let's say. Toby. Yeah, yeah. Was there was there a lot of
1: pressure for um the 2001, the Sugar a one, the record after that? Was there so much pressure from having such
0: a big record? There, do you know there, there was a, a lot of pressure because Napster neared its head. Oh shit, that's right. Now, if Napster didn't come along, it would have been we're making another record. You know, we just you know, Florida went double platinum, right? Uh 1459 went triple platinum. Yeah. So we're like, we're good, man. You know, we're, we're you know, we're a priority here at the label. We're cool. We're you know. If our next record fails, wouldn't we'll be no problem. We can still make another. You know what I mean? We were yeah. feeling. We were, you know, we were feeling ourselves. So, but then Napster came, and the whole record industry panicked. And so, what happened was, we had, we had, the song "When It's Over." Run DMC asked us to write a song with them. Holy shit! And our guitar player came up with this lick. Became "When It's Over." You know, wow. and I go, no, 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 we're not giving that to run DMC, and we're keeping that one for ourselves. <laughs> so I, w- I knew we had that for the self-titled. I go, this, this sounds like a hit to me. It yeah. sad. It feels like the other ones felt. Yeah. So I felt pretty strong about it, but it was, it was a little bit rushed because we were feeling the pressure of getting product out because the labels could see what was coming. Yeah. And then the final, re- the next record, Pursuit of Leisure after that was completely Written under those panic terms. We need a record out immediately. Bah, 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 bah. And, yeah. it, and it was songs half done, not ready to go. So,
1: yeah. So, When It's Over was big, and that record charted number six on Billboard.
0: Yeah. It was our biggest charting record. It wow. went, it, it did eventually go platinum, which is great. When It's Over was another top 10 song. Uh, we got to play, check this out, we got to play the finals of the NBA finals. Shout out to my Lakers.
1: Wow. NBA
0: finals. Lakers were playing Philly, game five. Okay. And Beyond, uh, Destiny's Child had played the night before And one of the girls yeah. wore a Lakers jersey And one of them wore a Sixers jersey Just to be nonpartisan. And hey, we're Destiny's Child mm-hmm. Booed mercilessly by the Philly club. Holy Booed shit mercilessly Now, I thank the LA Lakers in my On the uh, liner notes for this record coming out okay. The self-titled one um, AM radio is calling all day Going, Sugar Ray, they're LA fans They're Lakers fans Let's boo the living ass out of them And, and and we're going in there to play halftime. Lakers are up by 18 at this point, And we're about to play a song called When It's Over. Damn, man. Holy oh, shit. And I'll never forget the owner of the Sixers at the time. Man, his name is escaping me. He's like this rah-rah dude. He's uh, a really cool guy. Ah, he's me. Anyway, the owner of the Sixers at the time. I just saw Iverson, the documentary, too. Um, just, I was hoping his name would come to me. I, I'm, forgive me. Anyway. People at home are screaming at the no, I was the trying thing. to think about what it could be. Uh, uh, I know nothing about basketball. The Jordan doc was sick, though. It was unbelievable, right? God, right. God. Uh, you, Derek, you look up. You got it, guy. Anyway, he came out before we played yep. and said, listen, these guys are personal friends of mine. I invited them here to perform, and I want, to, I want you Philly crowd to give them the warm reception they deserve. They came here to perform for you. And he really tempered the whole audience and let us perform. Thank God, that's Minnesota. really nice, man. And then the Lakers went on to win. <laughs> they in Philly. Like, you know what I mean? Holy uh, shit! I'm still trying to remember his name. That's a great moment, though. It was a great moment. And so, you know, we find ourselves top ten record, playing, you know, dream come true stuff, playing the halftime of the finals of, you know, the Lakers, who I love dearly. So, got to see him in the locker room after. Just, just crazy stuff, wow, you know. Man, and the, so that was, uh, you know that was a, a lot of fun to make um pat uh, pat so pat crochi, pat crochi, pat, Croce, Croce. pat Croce. Yeah. Got Thank it, you, got you. also it. thank my you man. my bad pat you've always been so cool and so
1: and so did you guys tour on that that record for a long time yeah we
0: toured that one pretty hardcore hard too as well now europe completely forgot about us europe we didn't move any needles in europe at all um, after fly you mean after fly yeah they wow. they turned their back on us they said how dare you Blah, blah, blah. We're rocking it. Because Mean Machine hit. Mean Machine was on MTV a little bit. We had yeah. a little bit. we started playing to play rock festivals, yeah. you know, the the Hellfest type things. Yeah. We played the Puckle uh, Puckle Pup.
1: That was the first one though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Our this is on the Mean Machine thing. So, yeah. but, so we were rocking. And, and then Ten Seconds Down, we released Iron Mike. These were the heavier songs on uh, Um, Lemonade and Brownies Our first record So they just said We're not having it Uh, Japan loved it Australia loved it Uh, Every morning Cracked the top 10 In the UK But we never really got a, A big UK following So we never We were scheduled to go back and promote the self-titled r- record, and we landed in Madrid on September 11, 2001. Holy shit! Yep. So that became sort of, and we had this big, gigantic promo set up to try and break when it's over. Introduce the old catalog, and obviously, you know that that didn't happen. We were in Madrid for like two weeks. And it was crazy. We stuck there. Yeah, and also wow. it was found out that Madrid was the second biggest hotbed of terrorist activity of the uh, the little cells. And so we're in Madrid, Holy terrified, shit. but I'll never forget, man. Uh, I shout out to, I, it makes me cry. Spanish folks and, and the European people coming up and hugging us going, we, we got your back. You wow, know, we love it it was just sweet. We just, though we felt so disconnected and far away, we wanted to be with our family. We just were so bummed. We couldn't get home, but we, I've never felt more loved by, by strangers. And I just, you know, it's That's incredible. Man. And, and especially in times like this, there's a lot of humanity out there that still exists and you yeah. have to count on it. It's coming, you know? Yeah, it's
1: wow, I love that. Um, so then in Pursuit, pursuit of, uh, of, of Leisure.
0: Pursuit of Leisure was a record made that was trying to satisfy... We're trying to follow a song. Trying to make hits? We're trying to make hits. We reached out to the Neptunes. Wow. Yeah, and we worked with Pharrell for a day. He came in and gave us a song, and we're like, ah, it's not really us. It was mm-hmm. like, like, here she comes. It's like, here she comes. I'm like... I don't know. I, I, Sorry, I, Pharrell, we love you. No, Pharrell knows how much I love him. He, it's hard not to love him. Incredible, the guy. man. I mean, he's incredible. So, but the irony is, I read later in Blink One Eighty Two, thinking, you know, we reached out to some other people like Pharrell, and he, he he gave us a song called "Here She Comes." Here she comes. I'm like, oh, with some back pocket stuff he had working wow. on it, because I thought we were gonna do a ground up song. Yeah. And he's like, this is gonna. I'm giving this to a rock band that was in his head. I wonder who of took it. I wonder who took it after I, that. I, it's to 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 hit. To, to, with all due respect, he's written amazing more songs. So many bangers. Yeah. So many songs. That, yeah. that, that might not have been his best. It would have been my best effort for sure ever, but <laughs> it might have not have been Pharrell's best. I and mean, that's why I kind of think it made the rounds a little bit. Wow. Um, but so In the Pursuit of Leisure was us like trying to graph something new and like yeah. you know, Napster now is in full effect. The labels are panicking. CEOs are getting fired. Um, you know, Entire departments are, are going away. There's not as much money. Yep. Uh, we need, pro- I remember the president was calling me daily. When's it going to be done? I need it for the fourth quarter. I mean, I'm like, oh, I can't work like this, you know? It's so stressful. So we, we just barely finished the record. We went back to David Kahn on that one and he was kind of on some other stuff. He wasn't really like focused on making the best Sugar Ray record we, we could be. So we slammed a cover on there of Joe Jackson. Is she yeah. really going out with him yeah. to like, just get some desperation radio play, though I love the song, yeah. you know? Um, and it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't a complete record. you know. Yeah. It just wasn't. And that's what happens to bands. It happens sometimes. And it signaled the end because bands like Interpol and The Strokes were starting to come on the scene in. and was like, you know, Sugar Ray, you had a great run. Six, seven years. Thanks for playing. Uh, the county fair door is right over there. You know what I mean? <laughs> and by the way, Smash Mouth will be joining you, so will some other bands. And, but, 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 but you know what I mean? The writing yeah. was kind of on the wall there.
1: You yeah, missed Mr. Bartender, though.
0: We have Mr. Bartender, but like, man, another big video, a lot of of money behind it, and it just... Did you feel like it was over? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I I felt us being a relevant radio band was over because i'm a historian i'm the three-time rock and roll jeopardy champion for, oh, no, I got for a on reason here. Toby. be more i got that on here <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding yeah but i i've studied bands i've watched what happens and you know it's kind of like sports you get a, a short shelf life but unlike sports nostalgia is depressing in music mm. and i always say this in music you can watch us grow old watch the belly start coming down the titties start hanging you start losing their hair. Whatever you do, it happens to everybody, you know? And sports, once you leave, you leave. And people just have that memory of it's you. It's kind of cool. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. So that's why the nostalgia is always cool. Yeah, magic, man, killer. And I I always say this. If Michael Jordan could be playing in the NBA right now, he'd be playing in the NBA. You're not, I always say this, I'm not going to give my uniform back in music. I'm going to keep it until you take it from me. You know, I love what we do. You know, are you kidding me? Yeah. So I saw the writing was on the wall in terms of being a relevant recording act then. And that's why I kind of went, what else is
1: out there? I'm going to stop this right here. This is, this is part one of the Mark McGrath interview. This episode is three hours and 20 minutes. I'm not in the Joe Rogan lab where I could have podcasts that long. Though I do like them to be long, because if the conversation's flowing, it almost it almost takes upon its own life, and this conversation's incredible. I'm so happy that Mark gave me this time. Great reconnecting with this guy. He's a very humble, honest human. We have so many similarities, and I really appreciate this, and I appreciate you guys listening to this. Uh, part two is insane. Not only is it another hour and a half next week, but I actually add another 25 minutes I called him up because I forgot to ask him about... Him and Madonna supposedly dating. It's a great, great episode. Hope you guys check in next week for that. I wanted to split this up because it is very long. Um, Rap Report always told me that an hour and 20, hour and 15 is like long as possible. I disagree with that, as you can tell, because sometimes they just go and they flow. Uh, But one thing you did tell me to do is stay consistent. Once you pick a day, stick with that day because your subscribers look forward to that day. So I picked Monday. I appreciate you guys checking in every Monday, listening to this podcast. It means a lot to me. It's grown very fast over the past year. Like I said, I do it out my kitchen. My man Joe Bajian, North Carolina, he does my editing. And uh, I appreciate the support and you guys subscribing and spreading the word about this. It means a lot to me. I have a lot of great guests coming, a lot of great episodes coming out. So stay tuned. And yeah, next week's part two with Mark McGrath.